Hey there, and welcome to the AgroAmerica podcast. Today, we will discuss our recent blog titled General Installation Guidelines for Geomembranes. Joining me in today's discussion is Cody Miles. Together, we'll review a number of geomembrane installation guidelines suggested by Agru. Every month, the plastics experts at Agru explore how geosynthetics are changing the world around us. Discover more about Agru at agruamerica.com or by calling 1-800-373-2478. Thanks so much for joining me today, Cody. Happy to be here as always. I suppose we should start by putting these installation guidelines into context. Why are they important and why should projects lean to them for guidance? I think it's always helpful to have guidelines like these as a baseline for anyone considering geomembrane products for the first time or for those who would like to keep up with industry trends. Yeah, I found it quite telling that core qualifications were the first items discussed in these guidelines. For sure, and holding manufacturers and installers to high standards help ensure that projects achieve success and can reduce costs by avoiding waste and preventable mistakes. So product selection was the next section covered. What are some important points that you noticed? One thing that really stood out is the importance of test samples. Product specifications are certainly helpful to get an idea of a product's performance, but it should never be blindly trusted. Testing a product before it's used and a component is essential, and these tests help ensure that the product will meet the minimum design specifications for a project. That part caught my attention too. I know most industries set standards for quality, and the geosynthetics industry is no different. What exactly is GRIGM13? As you mentioned, industries are built on standards. For geomembranes, many manufacturing standards followed by the industry in the United States have been set by the Geosynthetic Research Institute, or GRI. GRI GM13 is a manufacturing specification that sets the minimum physical, mechanical, and chemical properties that must be met or exceeded by the HDPE geomembrane being manufactured. Okay, so those manufacturing specifications are a way to set the minimum requirements to call your product an HDPE geomembrane? Right. Yeah, exactly. And of course, some products will be manufactured at a higher standard to provide solutions for niche applications. In those cases, the product should be tested and compared with more restrictive values depending on the exact design specifications. So let's say the product passes all the tests for a given project. The next set of guidelines points to preparing the construction site for installation. This part seems pretty intuitive to me. For instance, the geomembrane subgrade should be uniform and clear of sharp objects. Right, some things pretty much stay the same in the world of geomembrane installation, and subgrade preparation is one of them. It sure seems that way. How about the next section on the best practices for geomembrane installation? I know some parts of this section have been discussed in detail for years. I think waves and wrinkles have been a central topic in geomembrane installation for such a long time due to the oversight when it comes to general guidelines and best practices during installation. Can you give us a short summary of the topic? Yeah, and we've published several articles about it on the AgroAmerica website, and I'll be sure to include a link to a recent one in the transcript. But in general, the problem stems from some installers following an old industry dogma that when it comes to HDPE geomembranes and thermal expansion, it was thought that thermal expansion-induced waves and wrinkles across geomembranes would eventually flatten out on their own once pressure was applied from the final soil cover. But it doesn't actually work out that way, does it? No, not at all. And it was found out that what actually happens is that these wrinkles tend to fold over to form areas of high stress in the liner where cracks can form. So those poor installation practices led to poorly performing geomembranes and sparked the discussions. What are the solutions? The guidelines build on EPA requirements, specifically that a geomembrane is only effective when it has quote-unquote intimate contact with the underlying subgrade. 
I think one of the most common strategies is to prevent waves from occurring in the first place by controlling the temperature of the geomembrane. A typical practice during the summer months is to modify the installation schedule so that work is only done during low sunlight. And if that isn't practical, then a geomembrane with reflective white coating can be used to absorb less heat. Can you go into more detail with the installation schedule approach? What are some of the best practices? An important concept advocated in the guideline is only to lay out the quantity of geomembrane that can be anchored and welded the same day. This way, installers can avoid unnecessary exposure to the geomembrane. Okay, so let's say waves occurred despite all these preventative efforts. What can installers do in that situation? One strategy in that situation is to push, accumulate, cut, and seam. Basically, you push the wave to flatten the geomembrane. The gathered crust is then cut with the excess material folded over and welded. On the subject of welding, it seems like many of the quality control procedures are associated with that step in the installation. I suppose that makes sense since poor welding can pretty much ruin the entire project. That's definitely the case. The whole point of a geomembrane is to provide an impermeable layer. So yeah, if a weld fails, then everything falls apart. So what are some of the important steps in welding? I found it interesting that the guidelines emphasize test welding. It is a process where the technician welds a test under the same conditions, equipment, and materials, and a portion of that test weld, which is done in accordance with the associated ASTM method, is then cut and then tested against the acceptable weld strength values for the project. And this is done before every welding session, right? That's the recommendation, yes. The impressive thing is that the testing doesn't stop there either. After the test weld, the actual production weld is then tested too. Right. In each section of the production weld should be tested using a non-destructive method. And after a given length, typically about 500 feet, a destructive test is recommended. Okay, from what I understand, it looks like in the destructive tests, a seamed portion of the actual geomembrane is cut out and tested. That sounds like quite a bit of work. It is, but then again, welding is such an essential part of the installation and the success of the project, so we all can appreciate the efforts taken for quality control. Thankfully, the majority of the installation is tested using non-destructive methods, which help save time, and the destructive tests are there as an additional layer of quality assurance. So a few different options were mentioned for the non-destructive weld tests. Can you explain how the SPARC test specifically works? Spark testing refers to ASTM D7240, a test method that relies on a geomembrane that either has an integrated conductive layer or is in intimate contact with a conductive surface. Rather than testing purely for seam integrity, this test is a sweeping construction quality assurance test that allows installers to identify possible holes, tears, and other breaches. Okay, so to get this done, you'll need a conductive layer. What else will you need? The installer will use an apparatus that includes a power supply, a coupling pad, and a test wand. When the coupling pad is charged and is in contact with the geomembrane and the underlying conductive liner, a capacitor is formed. An area is swept over with the wand and it locates points where the capacitor discharges through a leak. So it sounds like you can pinpoint any leak in the geomembrane with this test, so that's pretty cool. What about the conductive layer though? You mentioned that it can be integrated with the geomembrane, right? That would definitely save a lot of installation time. Definitely, and some manufacturers such as Agru offer the ability to purchase a geomembrane that has an integrated conductive layer. Agru's conductive liner, for example, combines all the benefits of a geomembrane with the benefits of a conductive layer without compromising on the liner's strength or durability. So with conductive liner, you can perform the spark test without additional installation time. Well, thanks, Cody. Happy to do it. And with that, I think we've covered every section in our general installation guidelines for geomembranes. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in. For more information about Agru geomembranes, installation guidelines, or our conductive liner, please visit us on the web at agroamerica.com. As always, we hope you've enjoyed listening and we welcome your feedback.